0: Hello and welcome to episode 22 of When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan, where I share people's incredible stories of transformation after adopting a low-fat, whole-food vegan diet to help alleviate the symptoms of chronic disease and to take control of their own health. On this podcast, I also interview plant-based doctors and other experts in the field of plant-based nutrition, and this week I was lucky enough to sit down with Melbourne's own GP, Dr. Malcolm Mackay. So, hello, Malcolm. Welcome to the show. Hi, Corinne. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so blessed to have you. I've been Nutrition in Medicine Symposiums that were held by the wonderful Lucy Stegley at Raw Events with you in the last four months with Dr. Michael Clayper and now Dr. Kim Williams just recently, which were both excellent. And so I was really looking forward to having you on the show. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Corinne. Yes, they were both... um, excellent events. Oh, so
0: good. So I've given you a little bit of an introduction but please I'd love for you to explain your story and how as a medical practitioner how you stumble how long you've been your vegan story how you stumbled across a low-fat whole food vegan diet and how, how long and how that's worked for you as a individual but also as a practitioner. So please please Tell us all, I'd love to hear.
1: All right, Corinne. this goes back a very long time to medical school in about 1980, when the the crusty old cardiology lecturer was showing us all these uh, gruesome slides of what happened to our arteries as we got older and heart attacks and strokes and problems with circulation to the leg and erectile dysfunction. And it was like, and you know, there are risk factors for this, but it's all part of the inevitable part of aging. But then shortly afterwards, there was another lecturer who said who told us about um, groups in the world like the Highland Papua New Guinea people who never got artery disease at all. And so it got me thinking, and it's like, okay, everyone in this part of the world is doing the meat and the fat and the salt, and, and um, these people in New Guinea were eating just mainly just sweet potatoes and so you know it wasn't long before I sort of put two and two together and thought right okay I can have my cake and eat it too I can have all the luxuries and and security of the Western world plus uh, I can eat the diet of the countries where they don't get heart disease and as the course progressed you know over the next uh, few terms I was always interested like oh diabetes what are the risk factors there oh breast cancer bowel cancer and each time um, nutrition seemed to be a big part of it and it always pointed towards in reductionist terms you know low fat low animal products low salt high fiber in other words predominantly whole plant foods so yeah i was already in on this and i also wanted to keep skiing all my life because i was a keen snow skier um, and I was getting back into, um, I was about 20 years old, and I was getting back into some distance running again. And it really seemed to work for me. You know, over the next couple of years, I, I sort of, you know, I ran a two thirty two marathon. They, they did, the, they put on one of the first triathlons in Adelaide, and I think partly because of my running skills, I came first in that. So it, it really seemed to work for me. My um, my peers all thought I was a little bit crazy maybe there's some truth in that. To this day, I still quite can't quite understand why other doctors just don't see this. I mean, you know, you know, you don't have to be a genius, go to the medical library or learn a bit about medical and health and learn about all these risk factors and learn about, you know, how much healthier vegans are or people on mostly whole plant foods, plant-based diets. You know, like it, it's sort of right up in front of you. It's sort of like hard to miss it. A few or two later, um, I found... Um, the books by Nathan Pritikin. And so I wasn't mad. Other people had seen the the, the obvious as well. Um, and so I became quite involved in Adelaide in what was then the Pritikin Health Association, which was quite big in Australia in the mid-80s. You know, and we'd put on meetings, we'd get guests, because we even had someone talking about the gut microbiome in the late 80s. Um, Sometimes I'd give the presentation.
0: Oh, my gosh. I thought that was just brand new. (laughs) No,
1: in fact, um, this particular person, I can name him, Dr. David Topping from CSIRO, said said uh, humans are like cows back to front. In other words, cows have the, you know, front stomach where they ferment the grass and we have the back bit of the gut where we ferment the food. You know, for the strict vegans out there, you know, some people say like I've been strict vegan for so many years. Um, I, I would have to add that, you know, my diet has a bit varied a bit over the years. You know, I got married, I had children. There'd sometimes be, you know, potato patties with some salmon in them. There'd sometimes be a family vegetable dish with some, chicken and I'd pull out the bigger chunks of chicken and then put them back in the pot. But I always lived mostly on things like uh, porridge for breakfast and brown rice was my staple in the evening meal. Um, I, I can't ever say that over the years I ever ate any more than very small amounts of you know fish or chicken or whatever. And I was always oil free right from the start. I mean, that was that was again a bit of a no-brainer. And Pretty can push that, you know, <laughs> back when he wrote his book in I don't know 1980 or before. It was like, here's the research that shows that oil also uh, damages, um, makes our blood flow less well.
0: See, that's something that a lot of people, I think, are still because there's such a such a. I what's the word, push, I think, for oil, you know, add olive, extra virgin olive oil to everything, you know, or coconut oil to everything. And it's just, you know, if you're vegan, it's like you have to love coconut oil in every dessert, you know, in every meal and in all of the people who are trying to be optimally healthy seems like oil is like, this is how you're optimally healthy. I'm pushing my hands forward. <laughs> I don't know why People can't see my hands. But, um... You know, the people are often pushing this extra virgin olive oils and coconut oils as a healthy, as a health food. So what do you say about that?
1: Yeah, when you talk about how it's pushed and promoted, I mean, as far as coconut oil goes, you know, there's sort of no science that really pushes that. That's sort of like a snowball that sort of started rolling spontaneously and just gathered speed. Um, Olive oil, I mean, there's been lots of research showing that, you know, diets that have some olive oil in it and have more fruits and vegetables and legumes and less meat, and less junk food and less dairy. So it's the olive oil? No, it's a diet that's more plant-based. So there are lots of bits of research like that, you know. And then, of course, the olive oil researchers will say, look at the polyphenol on olive oil, we'll study this. They won't compare it with the polyphenols that are present in much greater amounts than foods like blueberry, spinach, even whole wheat flour has more polyphenols than olive
0: oil. So you're you're talking here about the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, yeah. It's a more
1: vegeta- it's a more plant-based diet. That that's what it has. It's a more plant-based less Less processed diet. Don't tell me
0: people are focusing on the seafood and the oil when yeah. they should be focusing on that. There's an abundance of plants that make that diet my, really my, good. Uh, my
1: medical magazines often make me do a face palm, and one of the things is sometimes I'll see a Mediterranean diet described without mentioning, you know, something important like whole grains or even legumes and focusing on the. Uh, uh, on the fish and the olive oil. Uh, I must say, the uh, the approach I take to people with oil, so as not to get into a big debate about whether it's, you know, olive oil's healthy or not, whether there's been some large-scale studies done on Mediterranean diets with olive oil, is just to say, <clears throat> open up a nutrition composition table. You know, I'm a bit out of date here. You know, look it up on your computer. And uh, have a look at olive oil. You'll notice that it has more than twice the calories of sugar, the maximum calorie concentration of any food. Have a look at the iron content, zero, calcium, zero, fiber, zero, protein, zero. Okay, you can close up the nutrition composition tables now because you can see that this is a junk food as far as being a food that's super high in calories and super low in nutrients and fiber. I cooked, um, um, I called it a Mediterranean vegetable dish I had on my rice the other night, and um, I said that it had uh, unprocessed olive oil in it because it had some diced olives in it. That's the way to eat your olives if you're going to eat any.
0: <laughs> great great idea, great idea. Um, so I think we, into, we, we moved around a bit. So you went to uni and adopted a plant-based diet, a vegan diet, after oh, after looking at all of the gruesome images and then you did some work with Dr. Pritikin?
1: Yeah, I never met Nathan Pritikin. But, um, yeah, I did some work with, we had a Pritikin Health Association, which I was involved in, and there were a few recipe books and things, and I used to put together lists of references and recipe books and, and write out little diet sheets instructing people how to do, you know, a low-fat, low-salt, basically, more or less. this a pretty good diet, you know, the, the, the sort of maintenance version. It's a bit like Ornish who sort of allows you to sort of, not be so strict if you want to, but the strictest version of it's uh, nearly all whole plant foods, um, and, and you know, and I had some enthusiasm. It did wane a little bit over the years in medical practice. I guess part of it was that patients would often only make very minimal changes, and with those minimal changes, you know, would only come very small benefits. Uh, but boy some of those people with heart disease severe acne obesity etc who did the full-on um, uh, stricter version of the more whole foods plant-based part of the Pritikin diet they, they did very well over the years you know because of somewhat of a lack of patient interest and things and you know the busyness of having children a medical practice maybe I waned a bit on how much effort I put into a medical practice but it was always part of my practice to encourage people to move in that direction and to get up and do some physical activity, uh, then sort of came a, like a a rebirth, uh, you know. Um, when I met Jenny Cameron on a chairlift in 2012, or so, who,
0: <laughs> I love that story yeah, so much. i have
1: been divorced for two or three years at that stage, and. Uh, and Jenny helped me with the social media. And then at that point, we heard how this Forks Over Knives documentary was coming and the Whole Foods plant-based movement around about, you know, 2010 was really beginning to take off in the US as that movie pulled together all the big players who'd been working in this area for years, like John McDougall and Neil Barnard and Caldwell Esselstyn. So we started working on a website. By 2012, I moved to Melbourne to live with Jenny and decided, full on, full on, Jenny, this is my passion, this is the direction my medical practice is going to take in uh, in helping people to not just prevent, I've always been into the prevention, but I think until I connected with the U.S. movement, until I went to my first conference in the U.S. in 2000, October 2013, I don't think I really had a full understanding of just the, power and breadth of effect of whole foods plant-based to not only prevent heart disease but to reverse it to actually you know stop the growth of um, um, some prostate cancers to you know put rheumatoid arthritis into remission flu and uh, ms even with that conference um yeah that really helped me to launch me and i've been back to the international as they now call it um, plant-based nutrition healthcare conference every year since.
0: I want to go to that conference so bad. It's great. Right. <laughs> it's
1: just just all the other people at some of these events is um, makes it a lot of fun. I think
0: I I think I'd pass out from ex- excitement at meeting all of the doctors that I've followed for so many years. Yeah,
1: yeah. I must admit, we're we're. Um, um, celebrity photo people, Jenny and I. Yeah, we're we're always looking for, um, you know, get another photo with Rich Roll or T. Con Campbell or or someone. Yeah, yeah. We've got a whole collection.
0: I'm glad. I'm glad you have. You have to make the most of it. Seize the day, I say.
1: And last night we we registered online for the um, 2018 Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference. It's in San Diego this year.
0: Congratulations. That's so exciting. And I'm pleased to say that
1: you know, whereas not sometimes there's some GP online groups and doctors groups, and um, you know sometimes I've posted things on there and posted sort of a little bit out there about well, um, heart cholesterol and diabetes. I mean, you could just eat a, you know, vegan diet, um, and normally they completely ignore all my comments and things. I say I say to Je- Jenny, you know what the other doctors have said about my comment? Yeah, that's right, nothing. But I, um, I put up some posts about the Kim Williams um, events and I've had about 8 or 10 people tick like. So I think something's happening out among the doctors. I think there's just some, a small number of them are really starting to see it. But overall, the whole mainstream medicine in Australia, it's like they talk about treating cholesterol with just barely lip service to diet and nutrition. You know, if they're talking about heart disease, it's like Mediterranean diet. You know, it's sort of like no one wants to use the vegan vegetarian sort of V words and it's just sort of like Kim Williams at the meeting the other night it was right out there, like look what happens in the research to the big groups of people like the Seventh day Adventists, those that are vegan, how much better they do? When when there's articles about prostate cancer and maybe not treating it too aggressively, you know, in the medical magazines, it's you sort of it's a bit of why didn't you see Ornish's study where he's where they actually stopped the growth of sort of um, low to moderate grade prostate cancer?
0: If they were um, sorry about prostate cancer, I just wanted to go into that. When in, in Ornish, I haven't read Ornish's study, um, but I will. Is it available online? Can you just read it online?
1: Yeah, there's probably uh, a link from <laughs> if you go to my um, Jenny and I our, our website Your, I or will Uh, I think you'll find a cancer section there and uh, there'll be a link to the 2005 publication where Dean Ornish took these uh, group of older men who decided that their prostate cancers were not growing particularly quickly, that they didn't want surgery and so half of them did nothing and the other half did the Ornish program, which does include some meditation and, and group sessions and some walking as well as, as a low-fat, mostly whole foods, plant-based
0: diet. Did the men end up cancer-free? Like not all of them, but a lot of the men end up cancer-free at the end?
1: I don't think we could say cancer-free, but they did find that the, uh, the biomarker for cancer growth, PSA, went down. They did some scans on some of them, and some of the cancers appeared to shrink. Interestingly, with Dean Ornish, um, you know, how Dean Ornish... Sort of offers a spectrum where you can take various levels like he, he upset some of the vegans by having a photo a picture of salmon on the front of one of his recent books but dean ornish um i've seen a number of presentations by him and he always says you know in his heart disease studies in his um genetic studies showing that you know the aging telomere sort of stuff gets better with his program in the prostate cancer study all of these studies those that adhere more closely get better results.
0: Do you think with Dean Ornish, I know um, because I've personally found this way of eating through the Roy Swank research on multiple sclerosis. And he, just from reading his stuff for a long time, he has fish, fish and oily fish, and then he introduces like an egg a week or something. And then after, after, after a year, and then I think he introduces a little bit of breast chicken breasts after that. And his belief was that, you know, like lots of, like, like um, Dr. Kim Williams was talking the other day, a lot of doctors just think plant-based diets are just too hard for people to follow. So they give them these little, these, what they, you know, like little Treat foods like you know, like f- fish and egg whites, thinking it's that, that that'll help them maintain that diet. Knowing that optimally they aren't health foods, but just that they think, well, oh, I don't know if you'll stick to it if we don't let you have a tiny bit of these these foods. Do you think that that's like putting the fish on the cover makes people go, oh, phew, I don't have to get rid of fish, you know, like? <laughs> I might read the book then, if there's fish available. I don't know if it's if they do that whilst knowing that the optimal would be a whole food plant-based diet, but thinking, oh, I'll hedge my bets and see if I get more people if i if I add fish and eggs. this is just my own little stream of consciousness right now.
1: You know on the one hand, you know a pragmatist, you know if someone's not willing to do it one hundred percent then they're better doing it 90 or 95% than not doing it. So that's sort of a pragmatic approach to take. You know, like often taking with patients is not all, it doesn't always work to say you need to adopt a vegan diet. You know, it's often better to talk about, you know, hardly eating any meat and, uh, you know, things like that, rather than just uh, you need to adopt a vegan diet. Maybe if they just had a heart attack or an MS diagnosis or something and, they, and they've seen it and they've actually got hope and, that it's going to work they'll do it but um the other side of that though is that it can open the floodgates And once you tell someone with ms that fish is in there the diet like fish then becomes a regular food then whenever they go out they get a 200 gram slab of fish because they just ask for the fish meal Uh, and it's a little bit the same with oil you know, when you tell people, ah, oh, you can use a little bit of oil, it's that it's such super concentrated food. They, they, they just don't realise how many calories that they're having. And then, you know, it becomes, you know, oil and lunch and oil and dinner. And then when they go out to a restaurant where the food is often really oily, because they're accustomed to eating some, they don't even notice. So, you know, although I'm somewhat pragmatic, I'm also a purist. And, you know, Andrew Spudfield-Taylor will sort of tell you that, it's, you know, it's often... It's sometimes easier to stick to things a hundred percent,
0: and you know, be right if we lived in a blue side. I agree completely. I, I, not to sound, my my husband's partner and lots of people think that I'm quite extreme, which maybe I am. But to me, some foods I call them gateway drugs. <laughs> you, you have a little bit, and then it's just like about coconut oil. It's a snowball effect. You think, oh, because everyone has this. I'm sure I'm going to, I'm preaching to the converters. I've heard you talk about moderation before, but everyone talks about, anytime you talk about anything to do with veganism, there's a whole band of people who'll say everything in moderation, which is my worst sentence. Like, I actually hate hearing that sentence because. We just don't do moderation well as a species as far as I've seen anywhere. And if I have a brownie, I know that I'm gonna want a brownie again tomorrow. I've just it it just triggers something. If you have a bit of bread, you're gonna want more bread. If you have a bit of fish, you're gonna want more fish. We just we just tend to be that way I, I think inclined.
1: Right, yeah, as humans are always pushing the boundaries, both personally um, but even collectively, like well, Okay, how much carbon emissions? How long can we keep burning coal and petrol and things before it really hits the fan? Like, you know, uh, uh, sort of collectively as a species, we tend to tend to do this. Like, okay, if we've, and I think with nutrition, like, you know, our conventional nutritionists, you know, they find there's obvious, definite research: more than 450 grams of red meat a week definitely causes cancer. So let's stick to 450. It's like, let's, have, let's make that how much we have. And, and it's sort of like if you're looking at tobacco research and you said, well, we've never shown that more than less than three cigarettes, you know, it's only more than three cigarettes a day, so we'll have three a day. But, of course, also I think when we sort of treat the, um, when we take the figure that's known to be the amount that causes damage uh, and then we make that our sort of, we tend to make that our minimum, you know, on a good day.
0: Yeah, exactly. I actually now that I just r- I raised that without thinking, but um, if you could talk, I in your talk I heard at, I know you haven't got your slides in front of you, so I'm putting you on the spot. So I apologize, but you, I remember you talking about moderation in that, and I think that a lot of people who are listening will be will be on in that camp of moderation and listening to this. If you could just expand a bit further about what is wrong with moderation especially for people who have chronic disease if you could talk I remember you talking about it in that thing and I thought this is such good this is just it's common sense like but you don't we often don't use our common sense (laughs) so I loved hearing it and if you could share a bit more about moderation people with chronic disease that would be great thank you
1: Yeah, so actually we've sort of touched on how it's sometimes easier to do no chocolate cake, you know, chocolate cake every few days, both to reset your taste preferences. Like I don't even like oily food now, you know, even food that's got a little bit of oil in it really doesn't feel nice in my stomach, doesn't feel nice in my mouth.
0: I guess we could just talk about it from a patient perspective, like if I was your patient and I was just talking about, can I, how, how do you feel if I have, you know, three eggs once a week? Three eggs a week. You know, what would you advi- What would your advice be if I was really, if my cholesterol was very high?
1: It was one of the plant-based leaders made some comment. It might be Neil Barnard. Um, I think you have heard several of the, of them say, um, moderation can give you the worst of both worlds. You have a feeling of deprivation because you're limiting or restricting something that you've previously liked, but at the same time, because you're still having some of it you're not actually getting the full health benefits. So you've got the the deprivation without the full benefits.
0: That's such a that's such an important point. Because I think a lot of people, that deprivation is almost worse than the disease for some people, you know, when you're depriving yourself of all these foods you love and it's impacting on you socially and it's impacting upon you eating the things that you're habitually eating your whole life. And so you're psychologically just thinking about those things and craving them all day and then you're not getting better because you're not you're still eating a bit of it like and if you don't have something um, you know if you don't eat
1: prawns if you don't eat um, greasy snacks if you don't eat cheese then you know after a lengthy period of time someone can walk around at a at a social function with a platter of those and it's like not food like you know it looks like well it could be dog biscuits or it could be poly you know polystyrene blocks but it's sort of it's not my food whereas if someone was continuing to dabble in it then it's still going to look like delicious food to them. I I, I definitely in patients see the uh, problems of of moderation. Um, You know in the last couple of years I've I've seen a couple of people with rheumatoid arthritis who haven't quite got there. You know their their joints are still a bit inflamed, there's still inflammation, they'd like to get off all their drugs. That they're still doing a little bit of oil, they're staying overweight, and you know, I think if someone says, look, I'm going to totally adopt a whole foods plant-based diet, um, try and go for a lower calorie density, if you could talk about calorie density later, energy density, um, but their weight doesn't really change much. You know, those who really do it and who are overweight, you see over the next few months, the weight starts to fall off, it shows that they've really made changes. Uh, but I find those with rheumatoid arthritis who keep using a little bit of oil, who don't quite stick to it, um, don't quite get the results. In in heart disease, uh, I do remember one patient. that's like he was he was like one of my poster child patients. I sort of presented him as a testimonial, sort of like you know, sort of bloke in his fifties, sort of, you know who who one day I asked him after a few visits, I said, was it me that you did I? I didn't put you onto this to start with. He said, no, it took me 10 minutes on Google and I found Esselstyn's book. But when I came to see you, you pulled Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease by Caldwell Esselstyn off your shelf. And I remember this man saying to me, "You know, no, this is not at all hard to do at home. This is single, fifty-year-old male. It's easy cooking like this at home. It's not hard, anyway." It was like sort of that was the first year or so. Like about two years into it, he sort of went off on a bit of a side track about you know his approach to life and his um, plant-based diet and things. And next thing, I get a letter from the emergency department of the hospital. Mister So-and-So presented with an episode of angina. Um, you know, and he hadn't gone back to eating burgers and, and blocks of cheese. He just sort of slipped off a little bit. Um, yeah, so, you know, if you're a healthy, active, lean, 25-year-old, you know, without any disease, um, no doubt you could get away with more, you know, oil and animal products and things. But if you're someone who's already um, tipped themselves over, you know, through no fault of their own into, you know, diabetes, autoimmune disease, heart disease, is already diagnosed, then there's really not much wiggle room um, to go outside of the, you know, whole grains, legumes, fruits, vegetables, a few nuts and seeds, not even tons and tons of, not even too many nuts. And seeds and avocados, uh, I often see that. You know, people get spooked by the, ironically, the Atkins Paleo people with the grains and things. The next thing, they're piling in the nuts and the oils. And, uh, you know, apart from the weight, that generally it often it often doesn't seem to get the best results.
0: I, I want to just buy where, just while you've mentioned the elephant in the nutrition room, uh, Paleo and Atkins and ketogenic diets, I would love to hear. I recently got sent an article. My husband, my husband sent it to me about a man who's eating only bacon. Only bacon. He's now eats very, very, very few vegetables. Vegetables are his enemy and only eats meat and mostly bacon. And his blood results have become amazing. He's fitter than ever. He's thin. He's just the best of my husband was saying, well, look at this guy, you know, <laughs> he's eating all this bacon. And I was had my own thoughts, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on Mr. Young Bacon Man and all of the men out there who are starting on these carnivore diets and high, high, high fat, mostly fat protein and very little carbohydrate diets. Yeah,
1: yeah, look, um, there will be a tsunami of chronic disease following on from this. Uh, interesting, you go back to, you know, 1980 and before, uh, and um, in regards to smoking and you know Lots of people had these stories about oh, I knew my great uncle used to smoke and he was really fit I was a bull at age 90 and things like that, you know, so You can always have some testimonial of, of some freak person, you know Who's just had dumb luck or whose body is just Particularly resistant that doesn't mean not fit and healthy, you know is, the, the old grandfather might not have been able to walk up a hill. He might not have been sexually functional anymore. He might have been constipated every day.
0: But he looked great.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and that was something I talked about in my presentation. You know, like um, I, I gave examples in that presentation of how whole foods plant-based you be of four apparently lean, fit, healthy women. Um, one of them was Jenny, my partner. She had the best cholesterol results. The, the leanest, fittest, youngest of the lot was uh, um, doing a high meat, high protein diet because she was into, I don't know, some sort of um, power exercise and she had terrible cholesterol and she had high urea levels Um, she would have (laughs) have smelt, her breath would have smelt from all that meat because it does that, a lot of the um, bad odours in uh, breath, sweat actually come from uh, um, like um, uh, volatile sulphur compounds that, that sort of evolve in your colon when meat sort of decays in the colon when the remnants of meat Uh, also she even had a slightly elevated liver enzyme like you know maybe a bit of fatty liver or liver inflammation a fit young woman but there would be others sort of doing that like her and then be the odd person who whose blood cholesterol would actually look pretty reasonable and if people are in a stage of weight loss you know if someone's been rapidly losing weight for a few months Things like blood cholesterol and blood sugar will improve regardless of what they're doing. Well, just about regardless. I mean, uh, most people, I guess, if they're even losing weight and eating um, high protein, therefore, meat or saturated fat, cholesterol, even meat protein itself, um, generally, you know, their cholesterol profile will tend to get worse. But even if it doesn't. There are all these other things happening in that body. There's inflammation, there's lack of antioxidants, there's that TMAO that that your gut microbiome makes out of um, substances in meat and eggs and other animal products. There's an awful lot going inside the human body that we can't measure. Like with the endothelium, the lining of the arteries, there's constantly sort of replacement cells coming out of the bone marrow. Uh, Dean Ornish says that when people are on these high meat diets, you know, that you can measure that there's less of those in their blood, less sort of uh, precursor cells to, to generate new healthy endothelium. So, yeah, and there's often a lot of things that are sort of like before we can detect um, plaque cholesterol buildup in your arteries, by the time we see it on the scan, it may actually be that there's an awful lot of it all over the body before we can see it. You know, I'm sure I've got prostate prostate um, micro cancers from my youth of dairy all that dairy I drank in earlier life and things um, and of course no one sees them you know it's sort of like pre-cancer lesions no one's going to see them and more recently I've thought of this idea that you know there's tipping points in climate change like you heat up the earth and then the Arctic the, the, the tundra releases more methane it heats up even more you melt the ice and then the, the sea or the land absorbs even more heat you know, I suspect this happens in the human body as well, that you keep stressing part of your system, whether it's your immune system with autoimmune, you know, and all with diabetes. Diabetes, you know, you get more and more insulin resistant from all that fat in the muscle cells. And your pancreas just dutifully makes more and more insulin until just one day it hits a tipping point where, where it just can't quite keep up. And then it's like the body flips into that diabetic state and in the state of type 2 diabetes, all these other metabolic inflammatory changes happen that actually sort of worsen it, perpetuate it. And you know, autoimmune disease, is sort of like, well, you might have a few autoantibodies in your blood and be apparently okay, but at some point it might flip and tip over. And going back to the climate change analogy. Uh, And the climate scientists give us the answer here. They say, look, well before you heat the earth enough for the tundra to release all the methane or the Arctic to stop reflecting sunlight, it's easy to act now before it all happens. Once you go past a tipping point, once you've already got the diabetes, you've got the autoimmune disease, you've got the gut microbe, microbe dysbiosis, it's going to take a lot harder work to actually reverse it. Or even just hold things where they are, and that's the same with heart disease. You know, like if you, it, it's much it takes much less dietary adherence and, and effort to stave off heart disease than to try and reverse it.
0: It's so true. Like, like you did, we also talked about it before. It's just that we are. It's so it's such a shame that we most of hum- humanity tend to wait until that we reach that tipping point, until we're like, all right, there's literally nothing, there's no place to go back to because now we're this sick. Like, we can't go backwards, so we have to now take the, you know, do the work towards to prevent climate change because there's nothing, because we've... Take the more drastic action. Yeah. <laughs> For our own health. So it sucks that we like to push it into the very last moment before we're like all right then I'll put my oil down I think of the city I I live in
1: Melbourne like you know there was all these big works and digging up big city streets to put this you know subway rail system in there you know we waited till Melbourne was just about choked for transport before we suddenly started you know doing things about it
0: that is so true that is so true I was just That's, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. We do it all the time in every area, education, medical. Like, you know, the fact that we still have the food in the hospitals that we have today blows my my mind. But, you know, we have to wait until, you know, until we go further down the slope <laughs> before we're going to see action in those areas as well, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, like we're not going to take the bacon off the hospital menu until bacon sold in plain packaging with warning labels on it.
0: Yeah. Although
1: I must say the uh, the the US uh, Medical Association have come out against that against you know for, about hospital food. Recently, uh, my union, the AMA, and I wish I'd had some input, but I never knew they were doing a, a position statement on nutrition uh, that came out um, uh, last early this month, and. I was pleased to see that at least it said um, that, that they advocated more plant-based meal options in uh, hospitals and healthcare facilities. So there's some acknowledgement there.
0: Oh, that's great. Because to me, if I see anyone's hospital food, I just think, are you kidding me? This is...
1: Here's something funny. First year medicine, Flinders, 1978, before the beginning of the course, that some of the dietitians briefly spoke to us, sort of introducing themselves to us. And more or less said, don't blame us for the general hospital food. You know, that's nothing to do with us. We only do the special meals.
0: No, I can remember my brother. He had muscular dystrophy and he, um, you know, he had all different kinds of terrible things. But he had a dietitian, and all he ended up having to eat through a, a peg feed in his stomach. And he... um he was terribly, terribly, terribly constipated. Too much information, listeners, but he was. It was just debilitating and so sad that he had to live with that because um, the muscles couldn't, you know, help push the food through. And I bet that um, food, the, the, the chew. It was all sustagen, yeah, just all sustagen with no fiber and dairy, dairy and, and nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I just think now, I didn't know then because he died before I really started looking into nutrition. And now I just think, oh, my gosh, like if I'd known, I would have put other things like a smoothie in his. You know, you his... know there are
1: some people in the world. With that greens and stuff is, in starting there. Starting to talk about that, like, uh, well, what would happen if we sort of tried to put a smoothie through the tube? It would probably work. There's been, oh, I can't remember who it is, but there's some some health workers who have actually, you know, sort of been playing with that and trying it out. Surely it would work, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think as long as it was, um uh, you know, Really well blended. Up, yeah, it would work. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, yeah, so I remember seeing that and now and looking back and just going, oh, my gosh, for like two years he was just eating these sustagen milk protein Drinks and then nothing to help his food move through, so of course he was terribly constipated.
1: Mm. Now, getting back to some of my patients,
0: um, please, please, please do. <laughs> first of all, following on from the thing
1: about you know a, a doing it more hundred percent is, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just repeating what Dean Ornish and other people say. is like people sometimes start off, you know, doing whole foods, plant based because you know they've they've had a heart diagnosis. Um, just thinking of one guy who, again, would have been, you know, probably about a 50-year-old. Um, something that often keeps people going is the experience of wellness. Like, I remember this particular guy, you know, he, he had a heart disease diagnosis. I don't see him often because he doesn't actually live in, in Melbourne. Um, but last time I saw him, he, he runs a small business, and he was saying to me, you know, he's saying, Malcolm, or whatever he's calling me, he's saying, um, um, you know, I, I'm at the front counter, I'm taking phone calls, I'm directing the the, uh, the staff out the back, I'm dealing with customers. And he says, and it's like I, I'm less stressed and my mind's much sharper. It's like more going back to how, how efficiently my brain and, and memory and everything worked when I was, you know, back in my 20s. Um, so, you know, when people experience things like that, when they actually feel well, when their body works better, when their mood's better, um, that's, that's, that's a, a better long-term motivator than, you know, I'm worried that one day I'll die of prostate cancer. You, you'd think that if you went to the doctor, and that's what you're talking about, constipation, and I tell you, I, I'm sure I see a lot more hemorrhoids, sort of, you know, constipation sort of problems than I ever used to. Um, maybe it's because people are no longer eating the sandwich for lunch. Even if it's white bread, it's still got some fiber. Because maybe they're not eating the potato; they're just, you know, eating more and more animal products, more oil, uh, dairy. You know, cheese consumption has gone up for whatever reason. And I'm always pointing out the fiber to people, and they all think they eat a lot of fiber. It's not my job to shame them or anything. That that won't that won't win me any sort of uh, um, um, health coaching points, and. Um, in terms of the fiber, I um, always try and, you know, remind them about what foods have got fiber, and but also foods that haven't got fiber. Like, you know, when you're eating more foods that have got zero fiber, then you're eating less foods that have. So foods that have zero fiber are things like chicken, dairy products, oil, um, and things that have got fiber. You know whole grains and beans and vegetables and fruits because otherwise people tend to treat dietary fiber like it's a little supplement you know like um, um i had one piece of wholemeal bread this morning or, or was two spoonfuls of muesli and i had um you know the minimum um, recommended amount of vegetables with my dinner and a lettuce leaf for lunch so i've done my fiber and i'm always trying to bring people to remind them that you know what foods have got you know, that displacement concept, you know, if you eat more of oil, then you eat less of beans or some other food that's to as nutrients and, and fiber. in this case, we're talking about fiber. And also I get people, even when I prescribe, you know, someone I don't know and I'm prescribing them a cholesterol tablet. Um, you know, I try not to be really annoying, but it would be unethical, unconscionable for me to give a young woman a high risk anti-acne pill without telling her about dairies association with acne or for a 40 year old man to give him another cholesterol tablet repeat prescription without saying to him you know and and they always start i had i remember one man the whole time i sort of did i spoke for just a few sentences about um how he could lower his cholesterol diet he just kept repeating my mother had high cholesterol my mother had high cholesterol like it's genetic so i've got a strategy for that now now I say, to, I say to these uh, men and women, but particularly like the, the the men, once they get to the 40s and 50s, it's amazing how high their cholesterols are. And the women, it's often, often but not always, often a little bit older before theirs is really high. Um, I, I say to them, wherever your cholesterol starts at through your genes and other factors, if you eat more, and I start with foods that I think of as healthy animal products, if you eat more fish, and chicken and eggs and dairy and red meat, it will go up and I lift my hands, I lift my palms upwards doing an up motion. And, and I say, and if you eat more um, oats and beans and other whole plant foods, it will actually come down. And I do that palms down sort of movement. So then I'm in a position where I've told them, I've given them the information, which, you know, even if they haven't listened or have gazed off into space, you know, um, you know, I, I, it's, I've been ethical, um, and there's no point with that question. That the, the way I put it, they can't really, you know, sort of argue to themselves that it's all genetic.
0: Ah, oh, okay. So I, I actually would love you to, to my mum, just hello, mum, <laughs> if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, she has high cholesterol, and she. Went whole food, plant based, and surprise, surprise, it lowered. And then she started to be moderation and eating more and more and more and more of the eggs and the not dairy. She stayed away from dairy, but has more seafood, more animal products, bits and pieces. And she's, you know, has friends over, so she makes a roast for them and bits and bobs of the. the and she said, and yesterday she said to me, I've gone up and I, I, you know, I had two eggs because I was so upset that it. So upset that it's gone up, and I'm trying so hard. And she said, "Out of oh, you know, it's all so hard. My dad had it. His dad had it. Their dad had it. All of them died of heart disease. Ten brothers. It's just gonna be the way it is, Corinne. So if those people you said that you talk about, you know, if you eat less meat, oh, it goes down. If you if eat, they eat, if
1: they eat, if they eat fish, fish. You know, when you when you eat, I say when you eat." fish, chicken and go through the animal products, it, your cholesterol will go up I'm doing my palms up movement. And when you eat these other foods, it'll go down. So just, it's really like, I'm just telling the basic facts. Subtle. And you have to be very careful yeah. with patients that they don't feel like you're criticizing, judging them. And there's a particular demographic, the 30-year-old female who are often ultra sensitive, like it doesn't matter that she's overweight. Has, still has ac- acne problems at age 30, had a gallbladder when she was 25. If you sort of suddenly say, you know, there's probably some dietary changes that could help some of these things. It's like I um, one person just about slammed their fist on the table. And My diet's good. And, and, you know, we put this on women that, you know, they often have a lot of guilt about their diet and their weight. And, um, you know, people often just make the statement. They sort of stop there in the tracks. No, 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 no. My diet's good at that point you sort of have to try and sometimes you just have to drop it other times you have to just be very careful that what you're recommending is just this is advice is of a general nature for people with acne you know without sort of targeting them without making it sound like you're criticizing them personally for their diet which they consider is good so yeah, you'd be surprised you know you might think the vegan people might often think that the doctor says you know those dairy foods could be could be worsening acne and the patient goes ah doctor thank you thank you no one told me that no no it's not like that at all you know what is interesting is that sometimes i actually make a little note on file like not receptive to dietary change in other words we almost did a bit of a dummy spit just at the concept that there were dietary things that could help their condition only to have them come back you know many months or a year later instead of saying okay now um I've given up dairy food. Um, Like, what do you think I should eat instead of uh, meat? Um, So it's sometimes surprising, yeah. And and that's why I think it's important for health professionals to always give people, even if you're just dropping a little tiny pearl, a little like a fishing, a little fishing lure, um, you know, on on offer for them to take the bait, because you really never know who's going to take it. And I'm always hopeful that people who have sort of Seem to have ignored me or didn't think it was much of an idea, they'll have some daughter or someone else one day or a sea forks over knives. And I just hope that my little cue will sort of add to the other cues. I'll go, okay, yeah, I'll do this.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's, it's so true because I, you know, it, I'm not a doctor, but I have got a bit of a sledgehammer. <laughs> approach which does not always attract (laughs) well isn't isn't well received all the time so I have to I've had to learn to because when it's your family and friends it's much easier to get very impassioned about their health and well-being which isn't well received so yeah it's definitely been a learning for me to be like because I've had such great success with my multiple sclerosis and Fibromyalgia and constipation and obesity and all these things. I just think everyone just try this. It's amazing miracle cure. But then, like you say from your work, and and you think you said. Other night you said it as well that yeah you know, this is like a religion food is like a religion changing your diet is like asking someone to go from being Christian to Muslim or to Kim, go from Kim
1: Williams Kim Williams said that didn't he yeah oh yeah, yeah.
0: yes yep. and yep. it is like that
1: about the um, like his, I think he was talking about the older African American men yeah.
0: yeah yeah so it's it's a big thing
1: I, I always think you know the Doug Lyle you know psychologist it seems to work for me sort of setting a good example like. You know yeah i'm enjoying my food i'm eating lots of it and i look really lean and healthy you know and uh and I, I think you know setting an example like that's really important but it's we're always surprised about how few people notice that like jenny and i member of a ski club you know and there can be up to 40 people there and there's a huge communal dining lounge area and there's a sort of commercial kitchen and breakfast is gross, and it's you know provided for people. But the uh, lunch, evening meals, sort of people just it's it, it sort of do it yourself, and you all have your own fridge space and cupboard space. And there's lots and lots of you know it's a giant commercial kitchen that you People tend to form groups and cooking little groups. Actually, you know, it's like sometimes I'm an anthropologist there. It's like I remember one group. It wasn't that their meal was based around meat. Like it was meat, but anyway, you'd think after going there. Jenny and I had been going there for a number of years. You'd think there'd be someone who'd go, gee, you two are lean and healthy, good skin tone, Malcolm skis all day, you, you know, you, you obviously you are well into your 50s, um, and you're eating differently. What are you doing? For the first time in years and years, this actually happened to us last ski season, but it was about the first time when a lady started talking to Jenny about, well, mm, look how much of this food you're eating, and you seem to be so lean and healthy. Jenny happened to have the Forks Over Knives documentary, ah. <laughs> other material with her down the TV room that night or the next night. Yeah, they'd they pretty much. I think after watching Forks Over Knives, they decided that they'd finish the meat they brought with them, and then um, then uh, they'd go home and make the complete transition. Anyway, they've left at the end of the week. We're still there on the day they left. Another young guy moves into their uh, their space, their room, opens up the fridge, do you know, a uh, fridge space number, whatever, and says, oh, someone's left their meat behind. <laughs> they decided that, no, they wouldn't finish off the meat they, they were brought with and that changed straight away.
0: That's so good. Uh, it's funny, a lot of people, like my parents, well, they're like, oh, we'll eat the meat so I emptied out their fridge recently because my dad got um, prostate cancer, and so I went there and gutted their <laughs> pantry. And and, the, and they're like, "No, leave the meat." And I'm just thinking, I, I, "We'll finish off the meat and then we'll do it." And I just think that's such a funny thing. Like, it's already dead. You've already spent the money. Just,
1: just. It's like when people, um, you know, when someone's had more, more calories. <laughs> yeah, it's like when someone's had more calories than they need. And you know they don't want to waste the food on the plate, but it's wasted either way. You know, if you eat something that you don't need or is bad for you, or whether you put it in the bin, it's still wasted. Then there's that dilemma when you're cleaning out a pantry or, or kitchen when someone's cleaning it out. Like, what do I do with this product? I know it's harmful. <laughs> like, do you, do you give the bacon to someone you hate? Do you that? Something like.
0: We gave it to my auntie because my mum was like, "Oh, she knows so she." she I felt so bad. Some things I was like, "No one should eat this," and I threw it directly into the bin. If it was really like, like, they were all things that were bad for you. Sorry, Auntie Shirley, but they were. There were some things that were worse, and I put them immediately in the bin. But. Yes. Oh gosh, I did feel bad. Did I did I... feel bad.
1: <laughs> but Mum was like, "I'm not throwing them Good out." With that being that you had some consideration for Auntie Shirley's health. <laughs> I
0: know. I'm sure she was happy with the food, <laughs> but to me, it wasn't food. Sorry, Auntie Shirley. I feel really bad now. I'll give you a hug when I see you next time. Sorry for giving you the food that I think's poison. <laughs> Earlier on, you
1: asked me about um, you know paleo, Atkins, high meat diets, and uh, you know it's really unfortunate that this has been fueled by you know. Um, like our dietitians should be fighting back more strongly against this. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've got you know that branch of the CSIRO that are sort of um, you know put out the uh, CSIRO low carb diet. Uh, and um, interesting, some of the research that's been done to sort of show that low carb diets are all right for diabetes, it's like they compare it with a you know with a diet that's not all that high in carbohydrate. That still has meat in it. That's you know. Fairly crappy diet. And they find that their slightly higher animal protein and oil, canola oil diet, in general doesn't didn't make the patients, didn't do any worse than the standard crappy diet. And from that comes the idea, therefore, you should eat high protein. And I I hate the high protein idea, or even just like people calling food protein. Like, you know, I don't run along the yarrow and say you know, well, I guess it is water, but it's sort of not like you know, it's a whole package deal. Um, you know, and it's like, why not call the meat cholesterol or saturated fat or uh, heterocyclic amines or, or you know, all, all the other things in there that are going to harm our health the whole package or unfiber or unantioxidant, you know, whatever. There might be little tiny bits of research that compare, you know, um. Someone on a limited calorie weight loss diet eating more animal protein foods versus someone on a crappy diet. And that's always the key with research. If you want to show that something works, compare it with something worse. You know, if you want to do a Mediterranean diet with red meat, it was one of the sponsors, and fish and tons of olive oil here in Australia, then um, this particular research, you couldn't get into the study if you had an average Australian diet. You actually had to have a worse than average before you were accepted into this Victorian uh, study. So compare it to something worse. But I, I think that, you know, if you look at the people tend to, and, and the practitioners, they drive me crazy sometimes in the medical practitioners group and what they write in the medical magazines and the doctors who are sort of uh, saturated fatters, <laughs> you know, people who are sort of saying, oh, the saturated fat's all right. And in actual fact, it was always the sugar, the saturated fats all right, you know, eat more meat, fat-rich dairy, and they drive me crazy because, you know, they go, oh, look, we have, here we have with the pure study It showed that really poor people eating white rice and sugar, you know, in some really poor part of Bangladesh had worse health than the wealthier people somewhere else eating a bit of meat and dairy. It's like, yeah, you sort of, <laughs> I could have told you that would happen, but generally speaking, so they pick little tiny bits of research out um often comparing it to something worse whereas if you look at the broad picture of all the published research over the decades maybe over the last hundred years there's just ample research to show that when you eat more whole grains legumes vegetables fruits when you eat a more plant-based diet a more vegetarian or vegan diet there are better health outcomes when people eat um, larger amounts of meat and full-fat dairy foods, they get worse health health outcomes. You know, uh, so um, you know the fact that they're actually promoting those sort of diets is pretty appalling. And particularly now that we understand the mechanisms, like you know we understand TMAO and how it raises cholesterol and the inflammation, and and we understand you know the micro, what's going on in the gut and how you know carcinogens are being generated.
0: Well, but just to um. Uh, on to that. I know a lot of people, because there was the low-fat movement after with the heart, with heart disease prevention, and so everyone started to get low-fat milk, low-fat yoghurt. Um. It's
1: now swung back. It's now swung back. Yeah, to, so it's
0: swung back to whole. Dairy's still down,
1: dairy's still down, but I think the, um, the low-fat milk's not as big a proportion. An interesting aside here is that, you know, Journalist, I think it's Nina Tykholz or someone. One of those journalists anyway, you know, and, and all of the saturated fatters. It's not all there. they they eat meat and chicken and average fat, dairy food. But going back to um um this idea that this idea that it's either sugar or fat, that back in the nineteen seventies and eighties, people like people in America adopted a low fat diet and they just ate more sugar and they got fatter. Dean Ornish shows the slides which show that each decade from the 1950s through to the present, or at least through to 2010, with every decade, Americans actually ate more fat. There never was a low-fat era. There never was an era when uh, Americans, and it probably applies to Australians as well, there never was an era where they actually reduced their fat intake. They, they increased their calorie intakes each decade as well. Some of that might have been, you know, Twinkies and uh, soft drinks and things. So that's a bit of a myth.
0: So if so if they were consuming lower fat products, how were they having more well, fat? Well, they weren't actually
1: consuming that many lower fat products. They're still eating steak. They're still eating chicken. Um, you know, fried chicken places came along. So you know, they're eating like Australians are eating a lot more cheese than they used to. And that's really as concentrated milk fat and protein, oh, plus a few cow hormones and other bits. Um, so, Pus. Yeah, a bit of that too, just only a little bit.
0: Not, just a hint uh, though. Like, <laughs> and it's cooked, so it doesn't. it's not even gross when it's Australians cooked. Australians <laughs> and Americans
1: never really, there were some low-fat products come out, and you know, there were some pretty appalling ones as well, trying to jump on the bandwagon. But we never uh, sort of adopted that en masse enough to sort of make a huge change to a whole population. Uh, And this, you know, idea that the saturated fat is put out there that, like, it's either going to be eggs for breakfast or Cocoa Pops. You know, it's going to be fats or carbs. You're like, well, I don't, it's not a dichotomy. I can have oats.
0: (laughs) Do I have to have Cocoa Pops?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's never, it's never um, a sugar fat seesaw. In fact, Tim Williams, um, a couple of nights ago, he, he showed this slide of, you know, several decades old now. Uh, a few decades old, looking at different countries in the world and the the um, how much sugar they consumed and how much uh, saturated fat they consumed. And the two go almost exactly together, you know, like uh, uh, Australia and the US are way up on both. Japan was way, way down on both. So, you know, the two do travel together. Think of something like, a, in terms of processed food, think of something like a donut or chocolate or ice
0: cream, you know that's high sugar, high fat food. I just want to ask you. This this popped into my head the other day because a lot of people talk about orthorexia these days. When you talk about adopting a whole fat, low food, plant based diet, like oh gosh, you're going to go, you're going too far. You know, you're obsessed about what you eat. You're obsessed about the food that you're eating. Like it's this. Rent, and, and, I, and I'm not saying that I'm not dismissing that it can get to a, some young women, especially and young men who are wanting to be super. Fit and healthy are possibly um, actually have an eating disorder disordered eating. Look, I, I, um, I
1: do occasionally, I do occasionally see them. I, I do occasionally um, see them, and actually, what comes to mind is, um, you know, males equally to females. I do occasionally see these people. It, it's not that they need to loosen up and eat a donut or some chicken. It's just that they need to sort of, you know, be a bit relaxed, more relaxed about it. And, uh, you know, but so I do see those people. But I'm appalled when I go to some, uh, when I, you know, read one of my medical magazines or, I don't know, one of the, maybe one of the nutritionist associations, I won't name, actually had, had a section on orthorexia. And one of the criteria was you choose food more based on that being healthy than because you like it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do that. That's actually what I'd recommend people do. You know, I mean, we know we have, you know, fat, rich, salty food like cheese will attract many people if they don't find it disgusting. I would now. And uh, we have manufacturers make snack foods with exactly the right qualities to be totally addictive for a human. Um you know, and, and they're saying that if you go, no, 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 I'm not going to have the crispy biscuits, I'm, I'm actually going to have, um, you know, some... Uh, Carrot sticks and hummus. Yeah, yeah or, or some sort of healthy food. I think, I think it's a bit of a fight back, you know. The orthorexia, yeah, there is a problem with people who get totally over-obsessed about food and that's, you know, Generally, more people I've seen with them, it's, it's not always the whole food supply base. It's just they're obsessed.
0: I was just thinking that it's funny that we're leading to having like a hundred... I think it was Kim Williams or... It might have been, I don't know where else I heard it, but that basically we're, le- we're heading towards having 100% of the population obese or overweight, and rather than focusing on the level of obesity... We're like, oh, no, but don't eat healthy because you might get orthorexia. (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: bizarre, isn't it? Don't choose the the very healthiest food if there's something that, you know, might sort of give you a bit more of a pleasure dopamine rush.
0: (laughs) I found it just funny. Anyway, I just was thinking about it, thinking, like, orthorexia is this huge big thing when obesity is literally this huge big thing. Yeah, it's like, um,
1: you know, the the focus on food and, you know, young women's eating habits and things, um, you know, um, anorexia can be really bad and there's a very small but I can, my personal experience in dealing with these people is that like, I often can't help them because, you know, only if they're they're mild and actually willing to eat, I I can't really help people to eat healthy when they're not eating Um, there's a lot more to generally I find the, the the young ladies with anorexia generally have a sort of um, much broader mental health problem than, than just trying to be thin or limiting food. Um, there's a whole lot of other personality thinking things that go along with it. But, um, but yeah, it's always been bizarre over the years that we've been, you know, um, three quarters focused on not wanting anyone to develop the anorexia disorder, and sort of like um, being a bit obese, getting a bit obese, bit of breast cancer, eventually heart disease, like, you know, no, 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 we're not as worried about that. But, um, you know, in terms of sheer numbers and impact on people's health and quality of life, um, it's a much, much huger problem. I mean, it's like nearly everyone, like two out of three people in our country, you know, perhaps have an eating disorder. But, you know, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. And I think part of the whole thing with the sugar is, you know, sort of like, yeah, it's a sugar making people obese, even though we know that sugar consumption hasn't got up, like it was actually higher back in about 60s, 1970s, something like that. actually came down a bit, and it's been pretty level. And, um, um, you know, I think we're sort of putting on people that it's things like the sugar and the fast food. And my my, my sort of... um, um, uh, lifestyle medicine sort of Australian people and things often to always talking about the processed food and the sugar You know, but these people are getting obese are Trying to do the right thing by and by you know Got an awful lot of people out there I think even most people they're trying to do the right thing they are given the wrong information. They're pouring oil over their salads and their food. I see them as patients Oh what was going on on my food because I thought it was healthy you know and of course it just means that they systematically overeat because of that super concentrated calories and stuff and then there's all the stuff about um you know lean protein to get to, to you know give you satiety and stay lean and yet you know, the research shows that people who eat less animal protein are leaner, and the you know, big epic study in Europe shows that people who eat more meat, particularly chicken, are gaining weight more. Um, so there are all these people out there who are, you know, often quite educated, really trying to do the right thing, you know, they're not drinking soft drinks, but they've all food's got oil on it. They're trying not to eat potatoes and whole grains, which you know would actually help them. They're um, they're eating lots of, you know, chicken and tuna and they're eating some eggs and things. And so I think it's a great shame that the wrong information has been given to people who, if, if our nutritionists, our organisations um, would actually say to them, look, um, you'd be better off not having oil or hardly having any and eat more plant-based, eat a more vegan diet, eat, eat some whole grains, um, then many of these people would actually be willing to do it.
0: Can I ask you? I am, I've heard a lot of people say, um, including you know, Dr. Neil Bernard, Dr. Klepper, Dr. Gregor, yourself, I think, Dr. Kim Williams may possibly have said it, and Dr. McDougal, That the fat, the fat you eat is the fat you wear. So why is it that people who eat paleo keto people can eat? Their egg omelets with their halloumi and their bacon on the side, but bread free of course. <laughs> why can they eat these high fat foods and and be leanest they've ever been and be feel the best they've ever felt? Like why do that? Why do they lose weight when they are eating such high fat diets? You know, they
1: don't always feel the best they could. Like if you look at some of the research funded by the Atkins Foundation, it's like felt lousy got headaches, constipated, body odor, um, but. You know, if you went on a sort of diet that was going to be sort of paleo, then um, you cut out, you wouldn't be buying fried chip, fried uh, uh, French fries, you know, little thin McDonald's French fries. Um, you might even stop eating cheese. There's going to be an awful lot of little junk foods and snack foods that you're not going to have anymore. Um, you know, so you've got to restrict your calorie intake. And if you do a full on sort of paleo, high fat, really low carb, you, you might feel a bit nauseated as well. Some of that stuff, it's sitting in your stomach, and also you know that you're doing something and you're doing it good. So, there goes the dairy, there goes you know, hopefully, there goes some of the oil. Although, strangely, Paleo man on the savannah found a puddle of coconut oil. Uh, so, some of it obviously doesn't make much sense at all, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, people can lose weight, but. In the long term, in the long term, the weight loss stats are are not as impressive for people who adopt high meat, sort of high-fat diets. You know, the the short-term results um, are pretty good, as they would be if you went totally low-fat, whole foods, plant-based. The the short-term results are also good. Um, And then there are sort of, like I say to people, you know, there are some side effects of uh, low-carb diets, like um, mortality, just a little bit of mortality.
0: Yeah, just a little bit. I actually, cause people often send me those articles, like, like I said, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm living in this echo chamber hearing only positive stories. Cause I have a podcast about recovery stories and low fat, whole food, plant based diet. And I speak to doctors like yourself who tell me all the things that I, you know, reinforce the things that I already believe. So I, other week I thought, you know what? I'm going to Google because Pete Evans is talking about paleo and it's this miracle cure of everything. And all these people are talking about it. I'm going to Google um, diseases cured, you know, heart disease cured by paleo diet. I'm going to Google cancer cured by it or multiple sclerosis or all these things. And surprisingly, there was nothing. (laughs) There was like nothing. There was, there was nothing. There's one very not scientific, not, it was, I didn't think it was anything to go by. In all of my research, but in a simple Google of the same for low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, there's reams of results, reams of research, long-term findings, testimonials, there's so much. And there was just crickets when I did the opposite for high-fat high fat diets into the search engine. So I was like, okay, well, I am in an echo chamber, but the... There's not, there's nothing in the other, in the other area anyway. If you, if you do the research for yourself. Yeah,
1: interesting point. How we tend to get an echo chamber or a, a U loop, as it's called, a U loop, as in Y O U U loop, like. Like, for example, you know, you search something on Google and it comes up with answers and you think everyone, and you think, wow, that's high up on the rating, but someone else will get a different answer, you know. So now with our social media and our search engines and things, those spinners seem to be even more of a you loop. You know, Facebook only feeds, feeds us to, you know, lets us see people's comments to people's posts who, you know, we often interact with. Yeah. But, yeah, it's certainly... Um, true that um, only it's only a whole foods plant-based diet that has been shown to reverse heart disease. Sure, various Mediterranean diets and things have been shown to have less heart attacks during the course of the study, less heart events, um, uh, or less strokes in particular, in that particular study I'm thinking of, than an even worse diet. But only, it's only really the whole foods plant-based diet, you know, uh, low-fat, plant-based, mostly whole foods diet, that's actually been shown to reverse heart disease with diabetes. You know, um, in the early stages of diabetes, um, you know, even just losing an enormous amount of weight, you know, would uh, would reverse the diabetes. You could probably eat eat those legendary U.S. Twinkies in small amounts or beer in small amounts and still reverse the diabetes if you're enormously overweight and lost weight early on. Um, But, uh, you know, as far as what diet's more effective for weight loss, a researcher whose name escapes my mind momentarily, he actually um, has sort of metabolic ward studies where they, they, you know, people in a closed system, they're measuring their sort of, you know, oxygen consumption and they're precisely measuring their calories. And he found that um, it didn't make any difference; that there was no sort of clinically significant difference between, um, you know, if you went on a ketogenic low carb diet, like you still lost weight according to the calories. As far as everyone talking about, you know, the fat you eat and the fat you wear, there's two factors there. One is that the high fat foods are generally a lot higher in calories, you know, like meats twice, beans and and, and, um, nuts, despite being healthy in small amounts, are really high in calories. In fact, Jenny and I were looking at some uh, low carb bread today in the specialty shop. Boy, that packed a lot of calories because it was made out of um, almond and and coconut rather than flour. And uh, being much higher in fat, I was like about at least twice as high in calories. And the other thing is the human body sort of, Runs very nicely on starches, on carbs, and your body will sort of try and store and squirrel away for later in your liver and your muscles, etc. The carbohydrates, and if it needs to take those carbs and break them down into fats for storage, which obviously it will do if you keep piling them in, um, it actually loses about a quarter of the calories in the process. So, for that, that's sort of those two reasons, are sort of, and. A third reason, too, is that the type of carbs we talk about always have dietary fiber, and they're up, so they're often a bit bulky. So those three reasons, that fatty, high-fat foods are much higher in calories, that the, that the conversion of carbohydrates to fat um, loses is inefficient, and, and that the high-carb foods that we talk about are usually high in fiber and bulky. Those three reasons um, um, mean that you're much more likely to... Get leaner, to stay lean, not to put on uh, body fat on uh, a low fat plant based diet. The studies that haven't been done to it um, enough is comparing eating whole plant foods as in whole grains and legumes versus eating whole plant foods as in um, what I would call too many <laughs> nuts and avocados and seeds and, and things like that. So it was a higher fat plant based diet. And so far, The runs are on the board for the more starch-based whole plant foods and the fat-based ones as far as the populations out there, like where's the population of huge, you know, green zone group of people living on uh, almonds and avocados, and the runs are on the board for heart disease reversal, prostate cancer, diabetes, more for the the plant-based diets that are more Skewed towards the um, starch-rich plant foods rather than the fat-rich plant foods.
0: So, just to, from a non-medical, my own perspective, what you're saying with re-calories, I think that when you're eating like a slice of that low-carbohydrate bread that you're you saw, like it's all well and good, but it, what you're not well and good, but I mean, just just for basic people like myself, if you eat that. You, it's not gonna. You can't. It's high in calories, so you have to to fill up and be satiated. You might need to eat more of that, and then have such a huge calorie load, and it's more likely that you'll overeat calories throughout the day, which can lead to other, other, like heart disease, obesity, type two diabetes. Is that is that the issue with like the low like low carb, high fat foods that they only a small amount in your belly, so you still feel like you need all this extra. Oh, this room left in your stomach to add more high calorie foods such as more of that nut fat yeah, that's avocado that's a part of
1: it because um, um, you know we tend to eat it's there's some research that shows that people tend to eat a uh, you know a similar volume of food with their meals and so if you have higher fat food if you're having nuts instead of oats then it's a lot more calorie dense and yeah the stomach the stomach will be totally stretched and full from you know, from, uh, um, you know, high, if you have, you know, um, rice and beans and vegetables, the stomach will be totally full, you know. Um, but if you're eating something that was more calorie concentrated and fat rich, then, yeah, you could eat the same number of calories in your stomach. Y- your stomach might only be half full, you know. That, so in, while, while they talk about fats and proteins for satiety, satiety actually more seems to come from the actual bulk of food. Which is related to the to the uh, fibre and water in it, and the things that, and then the opposite is, is the higher fat content. Generally, the more calories for that volume of food. There's sort of a few other things. We actually wrote an FAQ on our website about sort of why, when everyone else, said, when well, some of Australia's nutritionists go, low carb diets are dead, and all sorts of comments like that. Good fats, good fats. We actually wrote an FAQ about um, you know why we're still promoting. Um, you know, uh, a plant, whole foods plant-based diet that's, um, you know, very low in fat. And, you know, I'll say when people want to argue about this, it will depend a bit, again on the person, the patient. Like, you know, if I with someone who's got obesity and they're a bit of a plateau or they're trying to reverse heart disease, then I'm really going to push that low, low fat whole plant foods bit. More than I'm going to push it for an ultra-endurance runner who's apparently, you know, young and in good health. And, you know, who's probably got a bit more leeway to eat some uh, fat-rich plant-based foods. But I I do see it. You know, I do see people who, uh, I've seen at least one patient who had, had moderately high cholesterol with their plant-based diet and now just they're eating huge amount of nuts and seeds and you know going on good fats and stuff you know it shouldn't have had too much of an effect on their cholesterol but i think just the calorie overload just the concentrated calories hitting their liver was probably enough to sort of cause all these changes like an increase in um, liver cholesterol output Uh, yeah so that's sort of my position on the sort of or oily whole plant foods versus the starchy whole plant foods.
0: And so people can read that FAQ that you and Jenny made up on the Plant-Based Health Australia re- website? No, P- Plant-Based Health Australia is
1: our, um, our, our Facebook page. Um, the website's got a, it's a bit of a mouthful, Whole Foods Plant-Based health. Food,
0: plant health. Whole Foods Plant-Based Health. Whole Foods? Yeah, dot .com.au.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you search plant-based health Australia, you'd, you'd get there, yeah.
0: Yes. Okay, great. That's good they can find it there. I think it's it's, it's such a fascinating topic for me and uh, probably a lot for the listeners to um, take on board because I think that that is still such, it's just once you open this diet nutrition thing, there's just so many differing perspectives and ideas and things. That I think most people are in a state of com- complete overwhelm, which is why I kind of, one of the reasons why I wanted this podcast to exist because just having a lot of people eating a very similar way on a low-fat whole food, plant-based diet, vegan diet, um, and thriving, at least you can be like, all right, I'm just going to pick one, pick this one, (laughs) and then go with it rather than having so much differing noise um, um, from everywhere. Not
1: all that noise is accidental either. Like, you know, industry puts out all this stuff that's, you know, almost meant to keep people confused so that they default back to the sad, you know, standard Australian
0: diet. I, th- I think that that's true too. Even though people might think that I'm a conspiracy theorist, but but I think that that's, I think that that's true as well. Now, we I've taken up a lot of your time, so before I I just want to quickly get in your if you have three tips, your biggest tips for someone who's listening to this podcast. or or just thinking about adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, but it's like, I don't know where to begin, like my partner's not vegan, my kids aren't vegan, I've beaten this way for 60 years, I don't know where to be. none of my friends are vegan, where would you suggest they start?
1: First of all, they need some good resources, like our website or Emma Roche's book, Whole Foods Plant-Based on $5 per day.
0: I have to buy that book. I really want that book. I haven't got it yet. It sounds yeah, great. Yeah, we've got a
1: few cartons of it. Secondly, um, keep it simple. Follow the simple plate model of having um, um, s- s- high-fibre starchy foods on one side of the plate, you know, whole grains, legumes, potatoes, etc and all your leafy greens and broccoli and other tomatoes and other vegetables on the other side of the plate. So it's a simple, very simple meal model. Um, and I guess... Thirdly, you know, I sort of like to give people hope that, that they can do this. Sometimes if they set a shorter target, like, all right, can you do it for three, three or four? Can you do it just for four weeks? It doesn't sound as horrible as you'll never be able to eat cheese again in your life. Um, and, and, that, uh, and that you can do it. And to give them hope that if they do this, that their health will uh, be restored or transformed.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. and I've mentioned it a lot of times because people often say to me, you know, what if you got multiple sclerosis again tomorrow, had a relapse tomorrow and, you know, and you've been eating this way. Like, don't you miss? Why would you keep eating this when you could have a relapse tomorrow? And I I always default back to, like you like you said earlier, like, it isn't just my multiple sclerosis that has improved. My energy, my mental fog's lifted. I have lost, you know, 30-plus kilos. I used to be chronically constipated. I used to be in chronic pain. Uh, in my, my 20s were a complete write-off. So even if I tomorrow woke up and I couldn't feel my legs at all, I would still eat this way because of the multitude of benefits. It's not just the MS that's helped. It's helped with my whole they're, life.
1: Um, they're great side effects. Like for MS treatment, no MS drugs give you those sort of good side effects, Uh, and that sort of brings that's sort of about the um, the breadth of effect of a whole foods plant based diet. That is, um, you know, the same sort of dietary pattern that that prevents heart disease will also be good for, or is good for heart disease, will also be good for diabetes, weight. Will give you your best chance with autoimmune disease. And the same sort of diet that will, you know, prevent heart disease will actually um, um, reverse it. Um, yeah, so it's that like wide breadth of effect and, you know, when I was saying this and I put this into some seminars, um, we started doing seminars and I kept wanting to say, sort of feeling like I was selling some sort of miracle cure and so I sort of had to add something on to that and I said, and. Uh, It sounds too much to be true that one sort of dietary approach could have that, could sort of be good for everything, but if you think of it as like, that's just types of food that the human anatomy and physiology are sort of best designed to eat, so that sort of explains why the sort of one broad dietary pattern works for so many things.
0: Yes, it does. I often when I'm, because I'm in multiple sclerosis Facebook groups, and I, it's a bit like your medical groups where I no one wants to hear about the whole food plant-based way, and they I get no likes if I ever write anything <laughs> in there as yeah, well.
1: I, I commented on, there was an online article about paleo-saturated fats, all right, Ansel Keyes was a bully, all that sort of crap. Um, it was published, pre-published online before it was in the magazine, and I put a big comment there. And and in this particular comment stream, you could like and unlike. I was quite proud. I got a net of, and I thought I was being more polite than they were. I got a net of 13 unlikes.
0: Well, that the, the, the comments actually, they don't get, they got very few likes, maybe none. And I get lots of hate, <laughs> mostly just furious hate, <laughs> which is really sad. I'm like, I feel really great. I've had MS for 13. Th- 13, 14 years this year and I feel better than I ever have and I run 5k a day and I exercise and do Pilates and I, all the, yeah, list of all the positives and I just get reams of, <laughs> reams of hateful, me- and I get, sometimes I get a private message that will say, I saw your comment, thank you so much, like can you give me some more information, <laughs> but they won't say anything. That makes it more worthwhile. Yeah, it is worthwhile when that happens, but yes, yeah, so it's just very funny because people don't want to you know, the people get so upset, it is a religion, and they get so upset if they think that they're suffering.
1: You're, you're saying you, it's like you're
0: blaming them and saying you did
1: it to yourself. It's like whenever I see anyone with, you know, after breast cancer and I want to give them a bit of dietary advice uh, on, uh, on not getting it back again or not going on with the other associated diseases like heart disease, it's always have to be so careful to phrase it in terms of, you know, like, okay, you know we're not interested in what caused breast cancer we're now we're interested in um what can make it less likely to come back, otherwise otherwise it's like you're blaming them or or if their friend had it, you're blaming their friend yeah.
0: it's such a it's a lesson in diplomacy, which I think that I need i've always needed my parents, everyone who knows me can vouch that I need a lesson in diplomacy like every day, and I think that your work would be like that, you know to bring a doctor and Knowing what you know and then having these 10-minute slots or 15-minute slots with patients to, like you, like you were mentioning, you know, you want to give them – it's unethical not to give them just a little bit of information about diet, but you don't want to be in their face or blaming and make them feel shamed or and, – and, and I don't want to do that either and no one wants to really do that we both we, everyone has their best interests of these people at heart which is why you became a doctor in the first in the first place i imagine yes
1: yeah and uh, it is a constant challenge just you know keeping that balance between you know giving them the information that you really must give them and um, but but uh, and not just annoying them or shaming them or turning them off
0: <laughs> yeah Exactly, turning them off—it's—it's—it's a—it's a tightrope balance. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. I was going to—I'm going to have to get you back on the show another time because I wanted to talk about soy and just a bit more about you know iron and B12 and those kinds of things. But I—you know—I've realized it's 142 and you're a working doctor, a man who have people to see and lives to help. <laughs> Thanks, so. So sorry for putting, taking taking so long, but I just, I just loved talking to you and I really loved hearing, yeah, just your, your expert, expertise in history and experience and honour people adopting a low-fat whole food plant-based diet because I, obviously I believe that it's the best for people's health and people who are listening may be suffering and would like to hear from a doctor as well. So they have not just recovery stories, but expert people talking about why this diet is so incredible for people's health.
1: All right. Thank you, Corinne, for having me on your podcast. Thank you so
0: much. Sorry for taking up so much of your time. Thank
1: you for having me on your podcast. And I think you're doing a really great job out there with this podcast. I know I'm often listening to podcasts while I'm driving or sometimes when I'm running. And, yeah, I'd be quite happy to uh, uh, come along another day and uh, talk about, you know, um, you know, iron and soy and uh, protein and all, all those issues.
0: Yeah, perhaps we can do it just a little, a little short version, just on the the like calcium, iron, just on, just on those things that people who are nervous about getting everything that they need. Just on those, that might just be a little a little mini episode we could do one day,
1: so that people could listen to it on a short run.
0: Thank you all for listening. If you want to learn more about Malcolm, you can find him at drmalcolmmacay.com.au. That's D R M A L C O L M M A C K A Y.com.au. And you can also find him at Whole Foods Plant Based Health.com.au. So Whole Foods Plant dot And they have immersions, seminars, just tons and tons and tons of incredible information put together by Malcolm and his partner, Jenny Cameron. You can also find them, I highly recommend, them, the group on on Facebook called Whole Food Plant Based Aussies. It's a great group for people starting out, wanting more information, wanting to find recipes, community, other people eating and living this way. It's a great group. I highly recommend Whole Food Plant Based Aussies on Facebook. Okay, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I put out new episodes every Sunday/slash Monday. And I would love it so much if you could, if you liked this podcast or you like some of the podcasts you've listened to if you could leave me a rating or a review obviously five stars and a kind review would be what I'm after because otherwise I just get super offended <laughs> not really but you know the more positive your ratings and reviews are the more and the more the more people will hopefully find this podcast and receive their daily dose or their weekly dose of hope about the healing powers of plants, which is what this whole podcast is about. Thank you all. And I'll see you next week.